Welcome to the Doctors Hospital podcast. I am your host, Alexis Burrows, brand manager at Doctors Hospital. Today we are continuing our series on uh, back to school health and so far we've spoken with Dr. Yashika Seymour on two separate occasions to talk about kids and COVID and also to talk about uh, just general health concerns when it comes to children and what parents can look out for. Today we are doing rehab um, and what rehab looks like in relation to kids. So we have two parts of today's podcast and we're starting with Zenobia Neely, who is an occupational therapist here at Doctors Hospital. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Alexis. Good to be here. Before we get started, here are a few words on the new normal at Doctors Hospital. We at Doctors Hospital have been hard at work preparing for the new normal. From COVID screening as you enter the facility, to mandatory hand and shoe washing stations. To further limit contact, we have launched a concierge service that allows for pre-registration and in-car waiting. Scheduling for imaging, laboratory, rehabilitation, and other services has also been adjusted. And our pharmacy is now offering curbside pickup and delivery. We're here to serve you with the same quality and care that you've come to expect. Doctors Hospital. Trusted and best care now. Isn't your health worth it? All right, so we're going to talk to um, Ms. Neely specifically about occupational therapy for children and youth. Um, I think sometimes people don't necessarily think about occupational therapy when it comes to kids. I think they tend to think about, like, you know, if you, you need to get back to work and those sorts of things, if you've had an accident, they tend to more so think about it from an adult perspective. So I imagine it's going to be interesting to have a conversation on what that may look like for kids. So I think the first thing would be just from a general broad scope, what is OT? What is occupational therapy? So occupational therapy is a healthcare profession profession that helps individuals to engage in meaningful activities that make up daily life. And so in a nutshell, we look at um, different areas of occupation. And as it regards the pediatric population or children, um, one area of occupation we would usually focus on is activities of daily living. And some some examples of this would be um, dressing, self-feeding, bathing. Is the child able to independently perform these tasks? Um, Other areas that we would often delve into is definitely play and leisure activity, social participation, and last but not least, education and learning. Um, And so in particular, and for the purpose of this podcast, we'll be focusing more on handwriting. So how can an occupational therapist help children that may have issues with handwriting? So the goal for occupational therapy for any child where you have identified that there are deficits is definitely to enhance, improve, restore, rehabilitate, or habilitate the skills and building blocks um, to develop perfect penmanship. Um, So if your child is having difficulty 
definitely um, that child can benefit from a OT consultation. Traditionally, we would see children that have um, deficits such as um, birth injuries, neurological deficits, orthopedic injuries, sensory processing disorders, behavioral disorders. And what an OT would do is assess that child looking for developmental milestones. Have they met the behaviors and physical skills that they should be displaying um, at a certain age or an age range? And when there are deficits that are identified, then we will um, develop interventions that are meaningful to the child and to the parent and, and the family at large um, to, to enhance and to improve those areas. But uh, what I want to say is our care and our treatment can also help typically developing children. We have a lot of kids due to COVID-19, they're at home and they're not quite maintaining and developing and those skills are some you know might be diminishing with the little um, opportunities that they have to ride or play and interact with the environment so they too can have some benefit from an occupational therapist um, consultation and treatment so handwriting I mean if I if I can go on handwriting is um, multifactorial some people think about handwriting as just put placing a piece of paper in front of a child with, you know, a pencil and crayon and say write. But it involves a lot more than that. Um, specifically, handwriting is penmanship as well as writing. And uh, when I say penmanship, I am um, um, <laughs> uh, directly talking about letter formation, letter spacing, position of, of letters on a line and spacing between words. And then when we talk about writing, where this involves ideation, so um, formation of ideas and concepts, um, center, sentence structure, capitalizations, and punctuations. So we have to put all of those pieces of the puzzle together in order for a child to be successful um, at handwriting. So you're saying that if I have a child who is able to write, but their penmanship is a little sloppy, that's something where I can bring them to an OT to kind of help them with getting better at their, their penmanship? Most definitely. Um, but in addition to that, we do want to consider other areas where we might identify some deficits. So it's not just that the child has sloppy handwriting. Perhaps the child has low tone, muscle tone that is. Or perhaps um, there are other issues with postural control. Um, they aren't able to quite sit upright, and they're at an age where they should be sitting upright. They aren't able to grasp the pencil or pen or crayons in the proper way. So we want to consider it all. Um, if everything else seems to be in order in terms of they have met all of the other milestones for their chronological age, um, but they just have a little sloppy writing, maybe they just need more practice. But if there are other factors that you could see that there has been some delay, then definitely um, that is a child that you should consult the pediatrician and, um, and possibly a lot of times would benefit from occupational therapy. Um, so as a parent, what would be some of the signs to look out for to say that would indicate that maybe your child does need some help with handwriting? Like what are some of the, the things that would jump out? Okay, so... So let's take it back to the physical aspect. Um, that child should be able to sit upright. 
that's one of the things that you definitely, the, one of the prerequisites that are required to, for writing. Um, good upper extremity strength. They might not be the strongest, but you want to know that they can control their writing tool um, and scissors or other manipulatives, blocks, that sort of thing. Um, also, if there is increase or decrease wrist stability that you might notice as they are maybe not writing, but as you watch them try to open um, a bag of chips or manipulate something else that is definitely age appropriate, but they aren't able to perform the task. Um, if you notice or the teacher is complaining or um, has brought it to your attention that, you know, the, the writing is sloppy or the child has behaviors when it's time to do um, any handwriting task. You know, these are um, evidence or some red flags that perhaps, you know, we could use a little bit more intervention, skilled intervention. Right. Understood. Um, so what can parents or caregivers do at home to help? Okay. So there are, the home environment is, is a really good environment to get the child involved because that's where they're mostly comfortable in most, in most cases. So I would say get your child busy doing absolutely anything um, that's physical um, and that involves their hands. So they need an awareness first of their, of their hands, their four fingers and thumb, their, the ability to grasp. So I would say depending on the age, um, that could be manipulatives with blocks, um, definitely um, scissors cutting, threading beads, um, tracing with the fingers or... We could also do finger painting. Um, and then we also have access to the computer, so you can always print off um, the pre-writing and handwriting worksheets at home and have them practice as well. And just like adults who are now stuck at home and have to do their, their work, you want to make sure that the environment is ergonomically friendly for the child. So there's nothing wrong with going out and getting a, a proper chair for that child's height and size and desk because that's going to foster and facilitate, you know, good posture um, to develop um, that handwriting skill. It makes a lot of sense. Um, I just want to backtrack just a little bit. Um, I guess working in the field, do you... Has there been any evidence that um, like early use of cell phones and tablets have any positive or negative impact on, um, I guess, the development of handwriting skills and that sort of thing? Uh, what I can say is that handwriting boosts memory. Um, and there are studies that show that better comprehension there's better comprehension when notes are written versus when they are typed. Um, the process of, of writing notes makes the brain work more efficiently and forces comprehension and retention um, of the material. So there are a lot of benefits to, to handwriting. It's the way that we communicate on a daily basis. Good handwriting also leads to um, strong academic performance. Studies have shown that students with good fine motor skills from handwriting, instruction and practice outperform their pairs in reading um, and math by the second grade. Um, so there's a lot of evidence about, you know, the, the importance 
of of developing you know your handwriting um and as children you know you want you want to start you want to give them the the best um advantage mm -hmm. and start really early and be consistent uh with that practice um, so my last question for you is how can a parent or a caregiver, um, I guess, engage with an OT or, or, or coordinate getting services from an occupational therapist? Okay, so I would advise that uh, once you have identified that this child possibly may have some delays or deficits or any concerns, um, that you see the pediatrician, that you speak to your pediatrician, um, and that's the environment that that conversation can come up about you know you think my child you know needs um, occupational therapy um, at that time I am guessing that a pediatrician would do further standardized assessment to see okay is this child really uh, meeting their developmental milestones are there other areas that we should be concerned about which would then um, even strengthen the the need um, for, for your pediatrician to write a referral for occupational therapy. But otherwise, um, you can always contact our rehabilitation department. Um, the number there is 302-4636. And you can speak with an occupational therapist, um, to give you, um, advice or give you tips for, you know, what you should be looking for, what kind of activities you can probably incorporate um, while you're at home if you're concerned. Um, and I, I think a combination of those things um, will, will, will help. Okay. All right. Um, this is good. I think there's a, a, some good information in here, um, especially, I guess, the connection between some of the, the non- handwriting things that may play a part in, you know, issues with, with development of that particular skill set. Um, that's not something that I had even thought about or, or realized prior to having this conversation. So hopefully that helps um, some of our parents, our listeners to kind of get an idea of things that they can look out for um, and make them feel a little bit more comfortable um, with getting, um, seeking out help and seeking out advice, right? I think one of the things that we do too often in our society is we don't pay close enough attention. And even if we think we see something, a lot of times we don't necessarily pursue it. Um, so I think uh, my hope is that from people listening, they, they get an idea of some things that maybe they hadn't thought about that they can look out for with their kids um, and actually seek to, to get some help. Uh, so thank you very much for taking time out of your schedule to be with us. Um, very good conversation. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right. Before we continue, here are a few words on Doctors Hospital's new Loyalty Advantage membership program. Doctors Hospital is proud to introduce the Loyalty Advantage membership program, or LAMP. LAMP offers medical service discounts to new and existing Doctors Hospital patients. With membership starting as low as $20 per month, LAMP benefits include fee waivers for insured patients, discounts on inpatient and outpatient services, access to free imaging services, and much more. For a full list of benefits or to sign up for LAMP, visit doctorshoffs.com slash LAMP. Doctors Hospital, trusted and best care now. Isn't your health worth it? Our second guest on today's episode is speech-language pathologist Krista Major. Welcome to the podcast, Krista. Hi, nice to be here. So 
we are we've talked about so far on the podcast for back to school we've talked with dr yashika seymour and we've talked about covid with children and we've also talked about some general health questions when it comes to kids today we're shifting in a slightly different direction and we're talking about some of the school related rehab related issues with children so krista you are a speech language pathologist so Explain to our audience what speech-language pathology is. Great. So a speech-language pathologist, so they're also known as an SLP, um, they evaluate, diagnose, treat um, speech-language, social communication, um, cognitive mm-hmm. communication, and swallowing disorders, um, which may affect infants and the geriatric population. Okay. So some of these areas might look like if we want to expand, a speech disorder occurs when a person has difficulty producing speech sounds correctly mm-hmm. or fluently. So, for example, that would be stuttering. Um, mm-hmm. There are some people that have language disorders, um, and this occurs when a person has trouble understanding others, which we call receptive language skills, or sharing thoughts, ideas, and feelings, which would be our exp- expressive language skills. Okay. So... If, if I was a parent um, and I was, I guess, trying to evaluate my child, what are some of the signs that I should look for um, that lets me know that I may need to talk with uh, an SLP? Okay, so some of the signs that you may notice, and you might notice uh, fairly often and early, um, would be that they're not talking in full sentences, or they might just not be verbalizing at all. Mm -hmm. Um, They might be responding in one word, so they might say, mommy and daddy, which is great. But as they get older, Mm -hmm. as they become two years old, three years old, and they're still only using one word responses, those are the things that we really want to to look into. Mm -hmm. Um, It may be also they might have a lot of verbalization. They might be able to say a lot of sounds and words, but does it make sense? Mm -hmm. So um, now we're looking into age-appropriate sounds and words Mm -hmm. um, that they may be making so the child might actually have an articulation disorder or it might be a situation where they have childhood apraxia of speech so it's a very um, wide range of areas that you want to focus on and kind of pinpoint Um, so when you do seek help you need to actually have just specific things that you notice Mm -hmm. um, with your child okay Um, so thinking about like school-aged children what would be so I guess if I had like a five-year-old versus a 10-year-old, what would kind of be some of the differences in signs that I, sh- I should be looking out for? Because I know, I, I imagine it's very different as you go up in age. So kind of break down at certain different age points what that might look like so that a parent who you know is sitting at home with a five-year-old may be able to understand what it looks like for them versus a parent who may have a nine or 10-year-old. Okay, so 10-year-old, that's, that's a, a steep age, right? Mm-hmm. So Hopefully, we would have noticed some of these signs way before um, 10 years. But mm-hmm. if we were to compare, so a five-year-old, would um, they would probably have more age-appropriate sounds. Um, they are talking in full sentences. Mm-hmm. They are asking questions, answering questions. So we have that receptive and expressive language mm-hmm. um, booming. And for some um, kids that are 
10 years old, um, now we have more critical thinking, problem mm. solving. Mm. So all of these things um, are more advanced. So their questions are going to be a little bit more advanced. Mm. And the way that they respond may be a little bit more um, advanced as well. Um, but again, with the 10-year-old, you're also looking for um, full sentences, mm -hmm. um, responding and answering questions. Uh, so they're not too far um, apart. Mm -hmm. However, um, just the complexity is what you're going to notice. Right. So a five-year-old may be saying six, seven-word sentences, but a 10-year-old, you might expect a 10-word sentence. For That may not be the numbers, but that's kind of yeah. the idea. Yeah. Um, the added complexity is where you would kind of see the difference. Yeah. So if your 10-year-old is speaking in five-year-old sounding sentences, then that may be a sign that you may have an issue. Yeah, okay. definitely. Okay. Um, now, I guess kind of looking at some of the cause and effect, what are some of the issues that may lead to a child having a, a speech disorder or something that requires seeing an SLP? Yeah, so the, the child might have a disorder that they've um, had from birth, mm -hmm. so Down syndrome, um, whereas they may have autism, mm -hmm. which is they may not have from birth. Right. So so it's something that later on down the line, presents. Um, it presents itself. Mm -hmm. uh, but um, the things that you really need to um, look out for is how they are communicating. Um, and if they, if they have a disorder that um, they've been presented with from birth, um, you might notice, for example, with kids with Down syndrome, you might notice that they, um, well, they come with a lot of, of facial um, features mm -hmm. um, in terms of their speech. Uh, they are usually um, very minimum with mm -hmm. their vocalization. So they're not um, able to speak in full sentences mm -hmm. or uh, express their wants and needs. Mm -hmm. um, and with kids on the spectrum, with autism, they might not be able to um, um, handle social settings, social cues, um, and it is a spectrum, so it's a, a, a variance of different um, things that you may notice. So one kid might not be bouncing from one side of the room to the next, whereas mm -hmm. the other might be um, just have issues with social communication, so they're unable to um, interact in a social setting. Mm -hmm. So is it possible that, like, I guess a, a physical accident could lead to issues with speech? So let's say, for example, if the kid falls and hits their head or has some sort of, um, like, a car accident, things like that. Is that something where, because I guess I'm, I'm looking at some of the ways where, you know, you might, you might know the signs early on if your kid presents with Down syndrome or if you start to see signs of autism showing up. But... In some of the, I guess, are there other forms in which or other other things that can happen that can potentially lead to this sort of an issue? Yes, um, there are. So there are cognitive communication disorders, um, and this includes problems organizing thoughts, paying attention. Um, so these disorders do occur in um, persons with, that might have had a traumatic brain injury. Mm -hmm. So you spoke about having an accident. Um, it also occurs, it might again occur um from birth mm -hmm. so they might have had um some issues within the womb mm -hmm. so um 
the physical abnormalities um, that they might present with um, at birth um, that might um, have issues later on with their speech. Mm -hmm. So some um, kids that have cerebral palsy, Mm. and um, that's a good example. So they have difficulties not only with their um, limbs and being able to move, but Mm -hmm. speech also plays a part. They're not able to express their wants and needs. Okay. So... If I'm a parent and I feel like I've been seeing signs of my kid potentially having an issue, what um, what can I or what should I do um, in terms of the home environment? Great. So at home, um, I definitely encourage parents to um, really become active with their kids at home because mm-hmm. that's their most comfortable environment. So, for example, if you're at home and you're, um, your kid – I know a lot of kids are at home now, so mm-hmm. – all you have is time. So this is a great time to really engage your kids, whether they're verbal or nonverbal. Mm-hmm. Um, you can make it fun for them. So that's um, creating a good atmosphere. And like I said, their home is their most comfortable atmosphere. So you're sitting on the carpet. Um, that's something that we call parallel play. So the mm. kid's in front of you and you're interacting with them and um, you're trying to engage them, trying to encourage vocabulary. So you're using all the things that in their environment, all of their toys, Um, It Mm -hmm. could also be something where you're in the kitchen and you're cooking lunch or dinner or a Mm -hmm. snack and you want to just encourage vocabulary that way. So you might say, hey, um, Sally, what do you want to eat today? Mm -hmm. We have strawberries and we have grapes. Mm -hmm. So you're giving them choices um, and they're getting to associate the item item or object Mm -hmm. with the the word. Mm -hmm. So... We want to build on that vocabulary, and the best way to do it is in your own environment. So when they're stepping out into um, the society, into mm-hmm. the community, they'll be able to um, transition into that. So you're encouraging them. When you're on the road, if they're driving in the car with you, and you see a red car, a blue car, mm-hmm. so you might say, Tom, look outside. We have a blue car. The blue car has stopped at the stop sign. Mm-hmm. So just anything to encourage um, vocalization, like mm-hmm. I've mentioned, anything to build on just more than just one word. Right. So it's not just a car. It's a red car. Mm-hmm. So um, anything like that to really expand their mm-hmm. vocabulary, expand their their mind, mm-hmm. and really um, get their imagination going. So that's, that's also... Um, why I encourage parallel play because mm-hmm. if you're on the carpet, you're playing with them, you're using their toys. It might be a, a teacup, it might be a plate with some um, pretend fruits. Mm-hmm. Um, what do we do with the fruit? We have to cut the fruit, and um, mommy has a fruit, and Sally has a fruit. Right. So let's eat the fruit. So, and you're also describing which fruits you're eating. Mm-hmm. So it, you're kind of able to use the things that are in your home mm-hmm. to make it um, easy and fun for them. Right. And um, they're learning at the same time, which right. is the best. And, it, and what it sounds like is just taking things that may be an everyday part of your routine mm-hmm. and just being intentional about the language element of it and using that as an opportunity to kind of help them develop. So I think that's one of the things, too. I think sometimes people think about it like there's so much work that I have to do to kind of do this. But it's really just taking moments that may already exist, mm-hmm. especially during this time, like you said, when people are home. Um, so, you know, if you're doing a snack, if you're doing breakfast or lunch, or if you're playing with a certain toy, kind of using that as an opportunity to be intentional about the word development, um, or the language development. So that, that, that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so looking forward to, I guess, you know, kids getting ready to go back into the school environment. And obviously at this point, we don't know what that looks like. Um, 
But what are some of the things that parents can do to prepare their children for back to school? Okay, so like I mentioned um, before, um, working with them at home. So you're getting them ready. So they're getting back to school. So you need to make sure that um, what is their age appropriate words, Mm -hmm. sounds, depending on what grade level that they're going into. If Mm -hmm. kids are just going to school for the very first time, you want them to be able to interact with others. So encourage your um, other, the siblings in your home Mm -hmm. to really engage um, the child that's going to school for the first time. Mm -hmm. Um, You might have um, neighbors. I know this isn't a really good time to, (laughs) because we're social distancing, but um, it's really good if the child is actually engaged in social settings Mm -hmm. with other people maybe familiar or unfamiliar to them um, because when you're braced with that in school for the very first time Mm -hmm. that could be a big shock if you're only child so you want to make sure that um, they not only um, building up their vocabulary when you're at home with them preparing Mm -hmm. them for school but also try to engage them in social settings Mm -hmm. if a parent thinks that their their child has an issue, um, how would they go about, I guess, um, setting up or arranging to visit with with you or another SLP? Okay, good question. So if you recognize any of the speech and language um, delays, Mm -hmm. or if you have any concerns, um, call your doctor first, if you have any concerns with your child's speech and language development. Um, If you think that your child is not developing at the same pace or in the same way as most children are at their age level, um, it is best to visit the child's pediatrician, like I mentioned, tell them your concerns, let your doctor know that things, um, the things that you observed um, with your child, your child may have a disability or, or a developmental la- delay mm-hmm. or be at risk of having a disorder such as an articulation disorder or a speech and language delay. So I would definitely suggest um, seeking help first. Um, they will also write a referral mm-hmm. um, that would state, you know, we're referring for a speech and language evaluation. Um, once that is completed, um, you can bring that over to Doctors Hospital Rehabilitation Center mm-hmm. on Collins Avenue. Uh, we have outpatient rehab services, um, and we also do home care and telehealth during this pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, we definitely encourage you to take advantage of those things. But um, some of the things that you will need to bring is the referral um, along with um, if you're using insurance. Mm-hmm. Um, we also take all insurances. So um, you can bring it over to the rehab center, like I mentioned. Um, and our number, if you need to reach out and contact us first, our number is 302-4636. Okay. I'd like to once again thank Krista Major and Zenobia Neely for appearing on today's podcast. A very good conversation about speech language pathology and handwriting. And, you know, when you think about it, the ability to express yourself clearly both through um, verbal communication and through handwriting are very critical components of a child's um, interactions in and around the school environment. Even during this COVID time with virtual learning experiences, it's still a critical part of how a child expresses themselves and interacts um, with other students, with their teachers. So I do hope that you've enjoyed the conversation as much as I have. And if you're a parent who thinks that your child may be exhibiting signs of you know, either a speech delay or uh, an issue with their handwriting, Feel free to give our rehab department a call um, and have a consultation and assessment done for your kid. Um, we want to thank you know you all again for listening to this week's episode. 
Um, as always, we encourage you to like, comment, subscribe, and share. And we will see you back here next week for part four of the Back to School series here on the Doctor's Hospital podcast.